The Professional Casual Network has gear. Check out teespring.com slash store slash professional casual for fresh new swag. A huge shout out to our sponsor, beardeddragongames.online. Pick up all your local game store goodness from Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, or Wafurp 4th Edition, as well as terrain, paints, board games, comics, and more. Make sure to use code PROFESSIONALCASUAL at checkout for free domestic shipping or PCME10 for 10% off your total order at beardeddragongames.online. Also, a special thanks to Built Bar for sponsoring the show. To get 10% off your order and to help support the show, use code PROFESSIONALCASUAL at checkout or use the link in the show notes. Okay, so stop me if you've heard this one. I've been telling people about the benefits of eating dried grapes. You know, I've been raising awareness. And gentlemen, this is your host, D to the D, Dr. D, reaching out through the supervision-free source of infinity interfacing. I am joined today by my partner in infinity B to the T, Brady T. How's it over there in the universe of oppressive aliens, buddy? Eat, pray, and love. Couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself. Today on Arachne, we will be discussing Cube Free or Die. It's an event that took place in Derry, New Hampshire at Midgard Games over the weekend. I would say that we had a real hootenanny of a time. We did, and as always, we should get down to business first. Arachne is a part of the Professional Casual Network. If you would like to support the network, please sign up for our Patreon or purchase some hot swag at streamlabs.com at Professional Casual Network 1. We are also sponsored by Frontline Gaming and would love if you use the link in the show notes to go purchase your tickets for any events coming up. It really helps us out. The next one we know of is ACO. And again, just because you are, if you're going for something like 40K or Sigmar, using our link still does help us out. And we never want to forget our sponsor, Mr. Laser at Mr. Laser at square.site. Mr. Laser's almost done with his tray prototype. Unfortunately, I haven't got my hands on it quite yet. I think he's about to send it to me. As soon as I get it, you guys will know I'm going to give you the full testimony on it. I am very excited. All the pictures I've seen of it so far make me so excited. And I'm going to be the talk of the town at all the affinity events here pretty soon. All right. Well, let's get into the topic. So. You know, I was running around New Hampshire. I just randomly, you know, went into Midgard, right? With all my Infinity stuff. It was, I think it was quite the serendipitous event, but I feel like I saw you there. Brady, were you there? I was there. I was very excited. This is my first New Hampshire tournament event. And I know that is like, you know, you've been part of this scene for a while. So I was really excited. I had a fantastic time not to bury the lead or anything. But yeah, it was great to see you there. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, this these events are run by a man by the name of Derek, uh, also known as Goonhammer, not to be confused with the actual website Goonhammer. We don't have any affiliations with them. Absolutely love his events. He's a great TO. He is, funnily enough, not a war corps. We're trying to fix that. He's being a, a stubborn doofus, shall we say, and I, I hope he takes that lovingly. I hope he takes it personally. <laughs> I, I, he probably will, yeah. He uh, he needs to hurry up on painting so he can get that workhorse status so that CB just sends us massive boxes of free stuff and we can share in the infinity love. 
Yeah, so we can take all those prizes and give them to the 12th place person. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes, what a great idea. To kind of give a quick overview of the Cube Free event format, it is a, usually it's a 300.2 list event. It's very similar to most other events. This one in particular was what they call an escalation event. So the first event was 200 points. The second was 300. And then the last one was 400. Each one, obviously a different scenario. The scenarios are picked well before the actual event takes place. The fun thing about the events that take place up here is that the person that gets the wooden spoon from the previous Derek event gets to pick one of the scenarios. And I, I want to say, I don't know for certain, but I think the event that was picked for this one was, I think it was cryogenics. I'm not entirely sure, but that was picked, I believe. I could have my information a little wrong on this, but that's, you know, if that's the case, send me an angry, so, uh, put an angry comment down below the YouTube video. It was Grayson, because I think he got Wooden Spoon last year. He, spoiler alert, got to pass that on this event, which is amazing. We love Grayson. He is a staple of the community. He's a great guy. He, I think, it, I want to say he picked Cryogenics, which had you, have you ever actually played Cryogenics before, before that event? Cryogenics is probably the mission, uh, even though I'm pretty new to Infinity, it's still probably the mission I've played the most. Oddly enough, like most people are like, oh, I do firefight. I do all these, you know, just kill each other. I think cryogenics is the one I've played the most. Which is ironic because it's the newest scenario because I think it was introduced in this ITS. And that was one of the reasons why me and my buddy like started with it. Because like, oh, it's one of the new ones. Let's give it a try. And it's shown up in a lot of mission packets. I have feelings on it and we'll totally get to those feelings when we get to that third round. But I have a lot of feelings about cryogenics. I'm not sure how you feel about that or any of the other missions in the book, but well, we'll get to it. Obviously we're going to talk about it. If you want to come to one of these events, you definitely should. The next one has just been announced and it is, it's on June 10th. So it's actually pretty soon. It is two, two, three weeks after iron Weld. We hopefully will have both of those linked in, you know, whatever description we have. Which I would assume we're going to most likely get another 24 people. Yeah, that's right. We got 24 people at this event. It was a filled event, but one person couldn't come because of a family situation. So thankfully, Derek was able to fill in and we didn't have any problems. Had an absolute full house. And even with the full 24, like, packed house, they set up the tables really well. There was definitely, you know, a lot of room. Midgard is a really good store for that. Derek did a fantastic job of spacing the tables evenly. You were behind me in one of the games and we weren't touching butts the whole time, which, you know, is a, a negative, but it's sometimes you know nice if you're not constantly on top of everyone around you. At that point in the third game, I was sweating so much. You, you would have walked away with a soggy butt if we had touched butts. Anyway, so game one, you played against somebody. How did, how did that go? Yeah, I played against Sloppy Steak. I'm going to use ITS names, mostly because I forget people's real names, but also I'm not sure if people want the real names being said. So I played against Sloppy Steak, and it was on Power Pack, and this was 200 points. And 200 points is that really interesting one of, I tend to find you take like one good alpha striking unit and just ram it down your opponent as hard as you can, and you win and lose on that. Thankfully, I went first. I had a Zeodrone and an Umbra Legate. And they ran up one side of the board, killed absolutely everything, and anchored, and basically were able to sweep across the board. I was able to eventually win, basically based on that like first turn of just breaking half the orders in one go. Uh, I will say he hit me so well with a with a great with two great combat jumps that nearly broke me because he was like, "Oh, you left all your dudes back here because you put all your points into two models." 
yeah, I'll kill the rest of your army. But thankfully, if I had gone second, I think he actually would have beaten me because he, dr- he would have done that drop turn one and taken all my orders out. So it was a really good game. He was a really fun opponent. The board was really nice. 200 points, though, is one of those ones of I don't always have as much to say because it tends to be a little swingy. And it's, I think, why a lot of tournaments stay at that 300 level because and- you have a lot more dynamic. Playing Umbra, right? I'm playing uh, Onyx Contact. Which, which I like bringing the Umbra specifically. They're, you know, they're a lot better in Onyx Contact than they are in Vanilla combined. What was the army of Sloppy? I wish I had wrote wrote that down. I, I I'm going to sound like the typical alien, but all the human armies look the same to me, <laughs> except like Hakislam because I play against Hakislam so often at this point. Okay, um, so but all the human armies look the same to me. So I apologize for all my opponents where I just go, I don't know, I don't remember their army. They were humans. I killed them. <laughs> humans die the same. <laughs> that's good did you ever actually touch the console i touched one antenna with my the extra model the sectet he ran forward and touched an antenna and i controlled at the end of the game i had my umbra controlling his his controller but he actually had one of his models his drop trooper who you know killed three or four of my models and just kept eating fire and just kept being like nah dying's for chumps and just making all his armor saves and he was able to run all the way across the board on my side and touch the console and, and stay alive that that man was a hero the hero they needed but again unfortunately he had already lost too many points early on but if he hadn't i really think like that combat jump maneuver was such a good one that all things being equal if he had just if he had the orders that that model would have done great work i was not prepared for it in the slightest you but you, but you don't know what the name of the unit was Oh no! I you'll learn, and the and the viewers will learn. I am terrible with names in general. <laughs> it is very very common for you know. I'll I'll play against someone. I'll have a great time. We'll be talking. You know, we we'll have we all having the sushi after dinner. They're like, oh, that person you played twenty minutes ago, who was the? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know their name. They told you it twenty times. Yeah, that's cool. It's gone. It's that person over there. Uh, same thing with like, oh, what was their army? I don't know. It was a human army. Eh. I try. I tried to be better, but I am very, very bad at it. Please don't anyone take it personally. T, Mister T. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Mister T. It. Yeah, yeah, nailed it. Got, got it in one. <laughs> First try, baby. All right. Well, sweet. Uh, what was your What was your score? The final score of that one was six one six one. That was my, my, you're getting a spoiler for my next game. So tell me a little bit more about your, your first game. Were you finding, were you going a similar strategy? I know you play Bakunin right now, so I feel like they probably have a different strategy than take two big models and shove it down the opponent's throat. Uh, the glory of Bakunin is that you have a bunch of models that shouldn't get along, but they work together oh so beautifully well. So I played against Josh B. Him and I, we've had, I don't want to call it a rivalry per se, but he challenged me at the last cube. I beat him with my 012, and he was looking for vengeance. So he challenged me for this one. I, of course, had to accept. We went right at it. So I show up, plop my stuff down. We roll for lieutenant roll and all that stuff. I'm pretty sure he, I'm pretty sure I win it. So I pick side. And the one thing about Power Pack is I. Just with Bakunin in general, I have a real tough time just getting to that console across the table. I don't know why. The first written, the first edition of my list included a Prowler just to infiltrate up half the board to get to the thing. But the Prowler, unfortunately, I just doesn't. I, I just don't think he has the stuff to make it. But who knows? As far as like Bakunin goes, they lack a good hidden deployment model that doesn't take up like too many points. 
like you don't have access to like what's a good example like you know like a cheap ninja or something like that like a fidei or yeah like a, well a fidei is not hidden deployment but yeah you don't have like something you can just like hide away purely to threaten and yeah or, or you don't have a good drop trooper who can just combat jump across the board we do have a good combat <laughs> we do actually have a good combat dropper with the meteors on the problem is is that the new one's not out yet and i refuse to buy the old one so i don't have it yet the new one's coming. I'm pretty sure it comes out next month, which, man, I am. And my little toes are just a curling. I'm so excited. So my list for 200 points was something you're going to notice with me and Bakunin is you got to have a missile launcher, Riot Girl, and you got to have a couple moderators to keep them company. So I had that as a little defensive Harris. And then I had a core of Zoe Pywell, a orphan, the MSV2 orphan, which is just top notch. If anybody's looking for... I guess like advice on using the new Bakun and stuff. That orphan is so good. It is so, so good. But the moderators, some orphans or orphan, Zoe and Pywell, two moderator hackers. Yeah, one moderator hacker. Yeah, anyway. My plan going into this was I'm gonna have some hacking. Thankfully, most of the hackers in Bakunin are pretty solid as far as whip goes. Spoiler alert for what's coming later. I move up, and the very first thing I see is Josh is playing Akon. But he puts a bullet tier. Right up, right up on the starting line on that on that fifty percent up the board thing, and I'm like, oh boy, I'm gonna hack this thing. It's a repeater. I don't have any killer hackers, but I'm gonna at least get rid of it, immobilize it, or something, so I can shoot it with my glorious, glorious orphan. Well, Pywell moves on up. He gets hacked and isolated, but thankfully Zoe gets her hack off, so I immobilize it, and then the orphan walks up and just ping pings it to death. Now. Good old Josh, since he's playing Akon, has two Knights of Montessa, which if you don't are not aware, since all humans look alike to you, they are the only heavy infantry bike unit. So they're knights on motorcycles. That was fun. They were right around the corner, so I knew I had to set up for that. I took an initiate who had a, a repeater halfway up the board. So the right side of the board was all, it was a hacking city for me. Thankfully, I knew if those bikes were going to come, they were going to have to stream through all the hacking. Anyway, so I start moving up. I start shooting at them. They dodge up close enough to where their chain, their chain cults are in range. And every single time I do a wound, they manage to do a wound to one of my models. So first the orphan goes down and then I'm like, okay, well, let's use the initiate. It's got a SMG, right? Got AP, walks over to the edge, shoots down on him, does a wound, takes another chain rifle and goes unconscious. So Zoe is hiding behind something and goes up, pokes the objective. I get the antenna she hides his turn they come up they start shooting stuff thankfully zoe manages to survive and at the (laughs) the son of a gun at the very end of turn two he's got a couple orders left and he starts yeeting spec fired grenades from a regular and he crits my lieutenant he crits my lieutenant with a spec fired grenade fail the dodge obviously i lose (laughs) i lose my lieutenant at the very last order of turn one. And I was like, I was that's, like, that's I'm not use a great expletive. way to start the game. Yeah. That's, that's butts. rough. It's, it's butts. <laughs> that's what it was going into his turn. He doesn't get a whole lot done. He tries to move the bikes around, but he, they just get hacked and shot. And thankfully they go down and then doesn't really do a whole lot at that point. Cause he doesn't really have a whole lot of attack pieces left. So then it comes back to me. I'm obviously in loss of Lieutenant. Everybody just starts moving a little bit. Zoe starts moving towards the middle. Can't get a whole lot done. His turn, all of a sudden, with the irregular orders, 
I spend my command tokens. Zoe runs all the way to the middle of the table. This must have been turn three then. Man, so it feels like it was a million years ago. Zoe runs all the way to the middle. Very last order. I walk up and I'm going to boop the console. Fails it on a 20. She's whip 15. Okay, cool. I'm just going to hide here and hope nothing happens. Right now, I'm winning because I have one console. He has none. Then two Nagas walk out of hidden deployment. One grabs the center one before Zoe can kill him. And then the other one grabs my right one and claims that one. End of the game. Boom. He wins five to three. But. <laughs> yeah, hidden hidden deployment has that, especially in, in power pack, has that. There, there's that four point swing. Of it's only one point for holding your opponent's console, but you lose three points for not holding your own. So there is that incentive just to hidden deployment and just like walk up to your opponent's console at the like you know the last couple orders and just be like mine. Oh, cool, four point swing, I win. It definitely helps if you have fast moving units. If you have a like a bike, if you have a motorcycle unit, power pack is so much easier to do, especially with that you know since the deployment zones are split. It's so like so much harder to deploy in a way that completely like leverages your fire teams and those fast moving units really capitalize are in that forward deploying unit because they can just go into the middle and have really weird sight lines that you wouldn't be expecting and planning for do you and think some- there's anything you could have done differently that maybe would have stopped you from getting like i mean how much can you really do about getting spec crit yeah and that <laughs> that's see the funny thing is is he does it later in his next turn, he does that, and he crits it again on Zoe, but I crit the dodge, thankfully. I was like, bro. <laughs> bro, please. What could I have done differently? I probably should have dodged Pi into the repeater range of the bulletier. That probably would have been a better bet just to save him. Because Piwell in this current ITS season is pretty gross because he has marksman and tack aware because he is a forward repeating repeater bot, which is gross. It's, yeah, that's that's really gross. 19 points. He's got min six. Pi is nasty this this season. I really, really like him. And other than that, I don't know. Maybe I should have been a little bit less pushy with my orphan and my initiate, just hoping to take down the bikes. Because I knew that if the bikes were able to break out of his deployment zone any more than they already had, he could probably just drive around my repeaters and then touch my console, and then I just would lose at that point. I don't know. Maybe, I don't want to say it was just because of that crit on the lieutenant, which slowed me down for an entire turn, but I think it was because he crit my lieutenant and he slowed me down for an entire turn. Oh, certainly, and that's that's always been like something I've brought forward from 40k, which is you, you can blame your dice for 24 hours, and then you need to figure out what you could have done better. And sometimes the answer is, yeah, my opponent critted, like, crit a roll that they had no business critting, you know, they made that 12-inch charge that they have no business doing. But there's probably still something I could have done better. So that's like, whenever I lose, and we'll be talking about me losing a lot, <laughs> spoiler warning, I've had to really bring that uh, mentality forwards, because that's, especially in Infinity with the spiky dice, you have to find other things to blame, or you're just going to not improve, and this game has such a depth to improve on. Something that meta chemistry, which is also a fantastic podcast, something that... I want to say it's Devin says he says that you have to be able to separate results from like the strategy of what it is you're trying to do. He has a much like a better way of saying it than I do, but you have to be able to separate. So like as a good example, as a quick aside, when we were doing practice games, I was playing against another person you're probably going to hear about on here fairly commonly. His name's Cyril. 
we were doing our our practice games and my prowler when i still had the prowler in this list because i was i was practicing for this prowler comes out perfect range man he's got a spitfire he's shooting at somebody with a sniper rifle. we're in 16 like did all the dice everything goes in my favor flub the dice i get murdered prowler immediately goes down we finish that game we essentially at the end of that game since it's 200 points it ended pretty quick we just re-rack the whole thing and just say okay let's re-roll that one roll and then the entire game looks different just based on the which is one of the coolest things about infinity right is that a single dice roll completely changes the branching paths of how the game goes unfortunately the way that we did it it resulted in almost a very similar result in him winning just because i think the prowler wasn't able to pull his weight at 200 points which again needs a little bit more practice i guess but that's an excellent way sometimes if you're if you're practicing for an event if there's like something that happens where you're just like okay that shouldn't have happened you might even want to ask him like can we just do this where it was like that doesn't it like happen or at least like talk through what might go differently because that's honestly where you can get like a lot of huge like improvements in your gaming because the problem is is that if you're a player that just loses all the time or you're just someone who consistently has really bad luck and just loses all these big roles you never really like kind of like learn what the other side of that coin might look like so that might be a really good place to try to get some practice in. So if there's a certain point where you're like, okay, we clearly know how this is going to end. Can we re-rack something similar to where we were before just so that you can get exposed to different scenarios and you might not have to like completely restart the game? Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. It also helps you, again, like you're, you're kind of talking about the Prowler. There's some units where you just go, oh, well, they're bad because... You know, I, I always say, like, my Norkius can never dodge. My Norkius dodges on 15s, and that's like, he, he might as well be dodging on twos. Uh, he, he will stand there with his dick in his hand more often than not, and will just die. But it's like, no, statistically, you are, like, the strategy you're doing is correct. Don't get too tunnel visioned on the dice here. You are making the quote-unquote correct call. I mean, again, obviously, face-to-face math is wonky and ridiculous and doesn't mean anything. Allow yourself to acknowledge that flukes can happen in both directions. So don't throw a unit out with the bathwater too quickly. And also on the same, on the same token of that, don't assume a unit that like does really well one game because it gets a couple lucky crits is going to always do that. Uh, that that's also the other side. I do see some people like really hype up like, Oh, this unit is so good. They're da da da. It's like, I don't, I don't think it's as good. You know, you, you showed the result this one game, but I don't think you're going to have that as consistently as you want to. Which is going to actually come up in the third game, but we'll get there. We'll talk about it when we get there. Oh, yeah, this uh, is all you? coming up in my second game as well. That I can really leverage this to talk about my second game. That's a perfect segue. Hey, how'd your game two go? So game two was a, a really good game. The funny part about uh, on Panic Room, I should start off by saying, it was against Blue, Ma- uh, Blue, Mave, or Blue Mav. The fun part is he was the only other person there playing Onyx Contact Force. You know, two two people playing the exact same sectorial. And at 300 points, so we both had pretty different takes. I really played myself. I really overthought the mission. And I think the longest range gun I had in my list was like a Red Fury. So I really built my list to push into the panic room and just lock itself in there. So I had two Zia drones with a K1 rifle and as a Mark in a Red Fury with an Umber Samaritan. Bra Legate. Or was that Norkius? It doesn't matter. I had two Umbra total. And they were split between two different teams. But that was a Harris. 
I had a five-man Unidrone link team, which is you're going to see a lot in my lists. That's kind of like your core fire team for Onyx is usually about three Unidrones, three to four Unidrones, and one Nexus operator. And those are really, really good because it's still a pure link team. And the Nexus operator can be your engineer, can be your lieutenant, can do a lot of things to help that team. I had an Evo hacker in the list, which I really wanted to try out because he can buff the Unidrones. He can also buff your Zia drones in a really nice way. I didn't, it's funny, I played myself because I really read the mission about like, get out of that biotech vor, get out of that plague area. But I didn't read coming out of your deployment zone pre-game requires a fizz check. And I had brought a Malignos with the core idea of with a boarding shotgun. So his idea was to hit and deploy halfway up the board. And when the person comes around to try to get in there, you know, you can just move in your camo, surprise attack with min minus six, and just shotgun down a whole fire team as they try to enter in the room. Well, spoiler warning, he failed his his fizz check. The board itself as well, I had won the roll and I chose to go first, which was the first mistake. There was this board. I, I really don't like badmouthing people's boards because people spend a lot of time building and making these boards. And this board looked really good. It had a lot of thematic, like it really tied itself together. On the other end of that, however, there were a lot of fire lanes that were quite literally from one entire board edge to the other entire board edge with no cover in between. And there were several of these. The fact that all my guns were essentially 24 inches maybe 32 on a good day, meant that when he dropped his heavy machine gun and his unidrone, five-man unidrone link team with a, with a plasma sniper rifle, I was in a rough spot immediately, which was not great. But I was able to, to play out the best I could. I had had a sensor bot that was able to help out. The big difference that he had is he had some Morats. He brought the, the Harris of Morats that Onyx can take, which I have never really looked at very much. I didn't find a lot of value in them when I originally looked at their profiles. He was able to get a lot of use out of them because it's a good medium infantry that Onyx is really like missing. He got a lot of use out of that five-man Unidrone fire team. And then he brought Bit and Kiss. This is the first tournament I've been at that didn't have Bit and Kiss in a list. My next tournament list will have Bit and Kiss. They're going right back in. I love Bit and Kiss. Uh, they're just such a great hacking network. There's two profiles, but essentially for one point, you get Every time you fire your pitchers, you can fire three repeaters in those pitchers. So, like, I think there's really only one profile that you actually take. And you just set up an amazing ha- hacker network immediately. And he was able to do that to me, which really helped him control the panic room and stop me from... Because I did get an Umbra in basically on, immediately in turn one. And the Umbra are very good in close combat. They'll dodge into you in close combat and then rip your head off. And I did that, and then he immediately locked locked me. And so I you know, couldn't hack, and I couldn't take more action. And so he essentially really played a very, very solid defensive Onyx playstyle, which I was playing on the opposite side, which was trying to be aggressive. But because I chose the wrong table side, I was not able... He was able to control the board at the range bands needed. And so I kind of look at all of that to, to kind of say, you know, don't immediately discount units because I've really discounted the plasma sniper unidrone because he'll do he'll get shot. You, you, you're in there face to face. You get two dice. They get two dice, and he dies immediately. And I'm like, wow, he's bad. He's not he's not worth his points. Well, in that game, that unidrone sniper shut down the majority of my team. I just couldn't I just couldn't fight him face to face. I was like, wow, these unidrones are a lot stronger than I give him credit for when I'm, when I'm on the other side of those dice. And it really helped show 
the the value of thinking of the tempo of the game. And I was just thinking about go aggressive, go aggressive. The board gets smaller. And my opponent had really taken that time to build a list that takes a second and breathes and acknowledges like, unless this board is super dense, I can control the sight lines in the board and I know my opponent's pushing forwards. And I basically played right into that trap. And so he played amazingly. I had a great game. It's one of those games of it sucks to lose. It sucks so hard to lose in that in those games because you can feel every mistake every minute of that game. But it's those great ones to look back on when you're doing list construction, when you're thinking about your next game and you're like, damn, I have learned so much from this game. I'm so glad I had it. I wish I didn't have to learn it the hard way. And I just talked forever. Uh, do you have any questions or do you, or do you want to talk about your second game? I just talked forever. Did you embrace him like a brother, an alien? Brother? Uh, he's al- he's allowed to talk. This was basically the you know us adju- uh, deciding who gets to talk in the next wow. alien meeting. <laughs> sure, yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like so. This is what I've learned with Panic Room: is if you win that role, you pick side. There is no debate in my brain. Yeah, with scoring that happens at the end of every round, you just get so much say in you know who scores. I don't think I'd ever pick to go first in panic or ever again that was that was the start of my mistakes and then it just kept getting worse from there and then i will definitely say if you are going to have a game of panic room as much as you think the entire game is going to take place within eight inches in the entire like in the center of the board there's always a sight line there will always be a sight line that wants to hurt you emotionally and i've made that mistake so many times that now, even if it's panic room, I'm like, I'm going to bring an HMG. There's no there's no discussion. It, you have to bring something. My original 300-point list, instead of running Zia drones, had, which, are, which are like tiny tags with super jump. And so they're kind of like your, like your midfield brawling tags. Mm-hmm. I had an overdrone. One of my friends, Gimli, helped me write the list. And that one has the, you know, the really good machine gun, heavy machine gun. And it's like, yeah, if I had brought that, like you said, I would have been able to really bully those sight lines. And then that allows the Umbra to go in and fight in there. So that is 100% when I relook at Pan- or really any of the armory missions. I will relook at it with exactly what you said. You need at least one unit that's sitting around watching sight lines. And then that enables the one or two units to run into the panic room. Don't put everything that assume everything's going to go fight in the armory. Because that plays usually into skilled opponent's hands. Right. And whatever you put in there better be able to dodge or have a high BTS. Yes, because every repeater, every hacker is coming into that zone. Mm-hmm. So my second game was against Jay Ricochet. He was playing what I lovingly refer to as Crutch Phoenix because I have been playing this game for a very long time and I have never beaten Steel Phalanx once. Never. So coming into this game, I had a lot to prove, right? So obviously we come up, we roll dice, I win the roll, I pick side. I pick the side... Now, like you were saying with the board, I am going to poop talk the person that made this board. This board was kind of ridiculous. It was so open. It was supposed to be some kind of dock type board. And there was just if if the panic room wasn't actually there, almost the entirety of both deployment zones could see each other. It was horrendous. It was so open. And funnily enough, it, it worked to my advantage because since I was able to pick sides, I picked the side that had some cover. And so I picked the side that I thought was better. And then to my amazement, Jay gives me first 
turn. I got the dream of forcing him to deploy first and, or I'm sorry, he picks to go second. I get to go first. So I got the dream of going first and setting up first. Obviously, I don't like to go first in Panic Room, but I am more than happy to do it because I know that when you're playing against Steel Phalanx, there's going to be a Phoenix and there's probably going to be like an Agima with a missile launcher just hiding out somewhere. So if you can get rid of those in the first turn and get those sight lines all cozied up, I I was going to feel real good about that. My teams were a Reverend team with an HMG, Swagatha, as I absolutely love to call her. I love, I love, 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 love Mother Agatha. She's so good. Perfect model for Panic Room. Then it was also with a Custodier Hacker. When I was practicing for this game, I brought a Reverend team thinking they could take the middle. I did decide last, maybe not last minute, but I did decide that a Riot Girl team was probably going to do this better. So I took the full, pure Riot Girl pain train team with two boarding shotguns, Spitfire, and a combi, and obviously the firewalls in there because I knew the hacking was probably going to come. To my amazement, Jay did not bring any hackers. I didn't. There was no Scylla or anything like that. I was lucky in that regard. Thankfully, I have Morlocks. I throw smoke. Yeah, so, you know, he deploys. Hey, look, there's a Phoenix overlooking everything. I just got to get close. Where he deploys, I can't really get the HMG to him. So the Morlock throws smoke. The Riot Girls move up. I get him, I get him in Spitfire in range, and then I just machine gun him down like an animal. He, I want to say he doesn't completely die in the first round of shooting. I do beat him. I think I do a wound. I think, yeah, I think he has NWI. And then we do it again. I mow him down again. And then I use the Reverend team to run around and pick off a couple Myrmidons. I don't know if it wasn't the officer. I think it was just a regular Myrmidon. And then I just put one of the boarding shotgun Riot Girls in the room. Totally not expecting to get it the first turn because I knew something was coming. If you're playing against Steel Phalanx, they're going to have massive melee swinging meat monsters coming in. He didn't have an Ajax, but his piece of choice was Yaduros and Hippolyta. So I knew I was going to have to deal with that. So his turn goes, his stuff moves up. Come to find out, he deployed 12 inches instead of 8, which was a huge advantage (laughs) for him because he didn't have to deal with the Biotechvor virus as much as I did. So his stuff was already 4 inches up, and they come running at me. I am shooting at Hapalta as best I can. Girl is dodging and weaving and ducking and just not dying every time I manage to actually hit her from the Riot Girls. A couple Riot Girls go down. Thankfully, I have AV Sienna with him for the full 5. He's not... He does get someone inside the room, but I put him down with, I want to say the riot girl, the boarding shotgun takes it down. So I actually got one point for the first turn. Second turn, Reverend team moves around a little bit. I'm looking to just pick off a couple things here and there. I think he might have brought a mermaid and hacker, but I don't, she didn't actually manage to do any hacking because if it was a hacker, I managed to take her down before she actually did anything. The riot girls essentially just solidified the position on the right, on the actual panic room. Their dodge is just disgusting. Thankfully, Ava Sienna was there, so I picked up the Riot Girls that fell down, reformed the team, shot at Hippolyta about a million times. Again, I hit her so many times, and the girl just would not die. She would not. <laughs> she would not die. Third turn, I got the room pretty much on lockdown. <laughs> I'm ashamed to say this, but my lieutenant dies again due to the, due to the biotech war because I thought... It was more important to kill Hapalta because of where Euduros was. If I killed Hapalta, I was thinking I was going to have a cinched game and hoped that my moderator lieutenant would not die. Neither one of those things uh, went my way. So the moderator fell down and Hapalta lived. So he goes, Euduros moves up, tries to punch some stuff as he likes to do. Bumped into a Morlock. The Morlock was like, get out of my way, nerd. Hits him in the face, which was a fight that I 
laughed endlessly at because I love Morlocks and how deceptively good in melee they are every single time. He does beat me. Yaduros runs off my active turn. He, he still doesn't go into the room. He doesn't. I don't think he get, tries to go into the room. My turn. I take down Yaduros. And since everything is on Lost Lieutenant again, by the way, if you are in my army, don't put yourself in a position of leadership because I'm probably going to be, you're probably going to die. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to tell you. Everybody uses their regular order, runs into the room. The entire room is just filled with riot girls and reverends and Agathas and blah, blah, blah. Hippalta tries to get in there, but she finally dies. And I get a pretty cinched win after that. One, nine to one. And I felt really good. It was the first time I ever beat Steel Phalanx. Yay! So the Steel Phalanx deploying 12 inches forward, did, the, did your opponent just not know that it was a eight inch deployment? Because it's like, randomly smaller in this mission for some reason yeah he wasn't aware so i think there's only three missions that have different deployments and we had two of them because power pack panic room and i want to say it's a front i think it's frontline has the other one that one's 16 so he he went into it not knowing which is fine whatever but definitely had a bit of an advantage in the regards that him being able to deploy up that far meant he was in cover at all so I was like, I didn't really feel too bad about it because of the way the cover was laid out. If he was stuck to eight inches, his stuff would have been out in the open. Everything would have would have to have been prone just because they would have they would have had to have hid in the shadow of a boat. If that was the case, one hundred percent that riot girl team was going to run across the entire board and start machine gunning them down. Yeah. So well, I'm glad it was a game at least. It it is so interesting how you can. You know, again, like you've never beaten Steel Phalanx, and it's like, oh, even when the person accidentally played too well, you know, because they got the extra movement, you can still find a way to get a win by just acknowledging what your win conditions are early and sticking to that game plan, even when things like, you know, are going wrong. Like, no, this person should die here. And they're like, nah, dying's for chumps. I ain't doing that. That Hippolyta, I, I, I am amazed. I hit, I hit Hippolyta so many times, so many, so many Spitfires and so many. Combi rifles and riot girls have plus one damage on all their ballistic weapons, which is crazy. She just would would die. There there definitely comes a time, though, where you have to like, all right, I put four orders into doing this. I need to to, like take a step back and find a different action to take. I was shooting the person's my my opponent, Surat, with like a red fury and he was shooting his, you know, two shot missile launcher because he's in a Harris. I'm winning basically every single engagement. And he's like, okay, here's two armor saves. Here's two armor saves. Here's three armor saves. He's just like, what's less than an eight on this die? I there there is no number. And it's, I had to hit that point where it's like, stop, stop wasting your orders. Go find something else because you're just you're tunnel visioning and you're just trying to succeed on something mathematically you thought you could succeed on, and that makes you waste orders. Which is definitely one of those fallacies, the whole spent cost fallacy, where you're just like, I've already gone this far. I have to finish what I'm doing. Because if you do that, you're going to sacrifice your uh, lieutenant to the biotech four virus. You shouldn't do that, Brady. Don't be dumb. <laughs> yeah, I um, I will not be accepting a position of authority here uh, in the network or on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, I've seen I've seen what you do to people in authority. Well, you know, if you as long as you stay co-host, you'll be a OK. All right. Well, I'll judge you based on your third game. How did it go? Uh, okay. I, my opponent was great. I have nothing against my opponent, Isaac. I think this was his, I think he said it was like single digits of games, but really great player, really great attitude, really came in willing to learn. I ended up losing and I'm going to put a lot of that on cryogenics is in my opinion, a little bit too swingy. I'm going to, I'm going to skip a lot of like, you know, what was happening and just kind of talk about like why I don't like cryogenics. 
I open, he opened one tech coffin, believe he opened the second one and immediately gets his HVT. Okay, that's rough. I open two tech coffins on my side, no HVT pops out. And the moment you open that second tech coffin and no HVT pops on your side of the board, you immediately know you're like up shit creek. Unless you have a list that was really designed to push into the opponent's territory, cryogenics really can have that problem, in my opinion, of it's about dominating control zones. And if by random chance you don't get the the thing you're supposed to control, it gives your opponent a, lo- a huge advantage because they just go, oh, I just need a bunker in. Sure. I love it. Granted, I made a few mistakes and we're, we're about to talk to that about that. So I ran a... Uh, three tag list. I had again two Zia drones with it with an Umbra Samaritan. That's that's a Harris I am really enjoying and I'm going to keep bringing forwards. It has a, it's a really good push forward and cause problems Harris because you have a lot of good mid range guns and then once you start getting into melee, the Samaritan can throw his Vorpal Sword, can stab people with the Vorpal Sword. All of them have super jump, so you can really easily move around the board. But unfortunately, I didn't do that this game, which is reason why i lost the other one i brought i did bring the over drone in this you're at 400 points you're gonna start bringing out all your tags and having a good time and i had brought two plasma gun my core fire team was two plasma gun unidrones some nexus operators and like a plasma carbine unidrone i had an engineer who was sitting next to uh with a duo with your with my over drone because the big thing that onyx gets is every single one of its tags can go into a fire team i think except for a sphinx but you wouldn't want to put the Sphinx in the fire team anyway. So if nothing else, you can like put an engineer to just babysit your overdrone as it walks up the board and just like, I walk next to you and I, you know, keep repairing you. Or you can do a more aggressive and put like Norkius with your overdrone or your Zia drones. And you get this really aggressive tag fire team, which I really like. And I actually like haven't run a lot in the past and I need to, I'm embracing and kind of looking forward to June 10th of, writing a lot of lists that are more focused on the tags because i do think that is where onyx gets a lot of its power is the ability to make those tags better than the sum of their parts that's like the unique thing it's it's getting because you're losing like you know you lose your specular killers you lose your taigas and a few of the other things that combine to get access to you don't have access to the avatar which i find endlessly strange you would think the avatar if would be in onyx that i i still kind of disagree with that like i understand why they don't give onyx the avatar because then i think it may just become like but at the same time why is that not the one that's the onyx is supposed to be the ones that like do the talking and it's like why would you not bring the like the super tag to do the talking and i i I will probably end up having to do some vanilla soon because i I have the avatar built and i really want to play the avatar and i haven't had a chance yet because i've just been playing onyx contact now do you know what the avatar is like lore wise i I believe it's like one of the embodiments of the evolved intelligence because i know when it dies it like throws its consciousness into someone else and improves their willpower a ton. Right. Okay. Yeah. Which is, you would think, again, you would think that would, should be around when you're talking to the other side. Right. Because really all you get, like, you know, you get the Umbra, which are like the secondary face of uh, the combined army, which, which are really cool. I really, really like the Umbra and it's why I play, uh, play, played Onyx in the first place. Basically the game was a lot of just trading fire between two big fire teams, just shooting each other and just kind of seeing who fell over first. Thankfully, and what I thought, thankfully for me, is because my list was essentially 20 orders, because I had the double the Surat with a double lieutenant order and a bunch of NCOs to use them, I was able to do a lot of damage on my first turn. Actually, I, I had got I was 
bottom of turn. So I was able to really eat that incoming fire and then really dish it out. Again, the problem started coming on turn two when the tech coffins stopped going my way. And I realized I had to start pushing up the board. And the big, big mistake I made is I pulled my tag around a corner to shoot someone holding a tech coffin. And I didn't ask my opponent, hey, remind me their stats. I'm like, oh, you have a submachine gun? Cool, I'll waste you. They have MIM-6, and I have, and I'm already at a minus three band with the like heavy machine gun I'm using. So I'm shooting it at a minus nine. <laughs> um, I think technically we said minus twelve because we agree that they had cover. I'm, I still disagree with that ruling, but that was a you know whatever that wouldn't have saved me either way. The annoying part is right behind him was my Nexus engineer who had a shock who had a Vulcan shotgun, and that's like okay. If you're re like if you're re-racking and redoing that turn, you literally like in in a practice game, I'd literally say, okay, you're gonna pull your you're gonna pull your over drone back, and you're gonna have the Nexus operator walk around the corner, put two templates down, and go, you have to dodge. And if you don't, or or you just do hit mode. But either way, because you're getting that plus six. But either way, the Nexus operator walks out and goes, I will trade my life for you. And then the over drone can take a step forward and see the entire board. So that alone pretty much cost me the game. Why again? Why that's so annoying is like, oh, you didn't have a whole lot of stuff left. I was definitely winning on like points, but that doesn't matter in in cryo and also in general that shouldn't matter in general that's like a very 40k thing I'm like well i have more points i can just efficiently clean you up at this point but activation order in infinity is still a really important thing to always be considering i definitely was really messing that up i was really messing up my super jumps and how i was moving up the board so the second game i hated because it was really like wow you won the dice roll and picked wrong and deployed poor- and deployed poorly. <laughs> my game, my game three was definitely the one of like, hey, you went on autopilot because you're 400 points. You're tired. It's the last game of the day. You made a lot of activation order mistakes. I really left cube fr- uh, cube free or die very deflated. Because it's like, oh, I'm shit at this game, but also, damn, you're gonna play so much better on June 10th because you made those mistakes and got absolutely punished for it and those are again if you if you're gonna get good at this game you're gonna get good at any war game you need to have that mentality like sorry i'm gonna jerk myself off for a second but like you need to have that mentality coming in of like i'm going to lose and that's more important right now like it's more important if you lose these games and lose them hard and lose winnable games my third game was a very very winnable game and i handed the opponent my the victory you know, I, I took vic- defeat from the jaws of victory because I made some very key mistakes. I don't like I'm not going to say my opponent rolled well because I don't think he rolled all that like all that hot. There was like one or two rolls where it's like, my God, you, you got lucky there. But I also got like some very lucky crits. The biggest one is make sure you always are thinking about your activation order, even if you think you have your opponent like on the mat, because they can always like sweep you. Absolutely. And I think the something I've learned. So I really like cryogenics as a scenario. When I was playing O twelve, O twelve really, really loves quadrant control. And I was playing them last ITS season, and then all of a sudden cryo comes out, and you're like, oh, this is quadrant control just with more steps. So what I what I have learned playing the scenario as many times as I have is that you almost don't want to open the ones that are closest to your deployment zone because all that's going to do, you'll get the two points, which is obviously great. If you have the option to go for the opponent's side, I would almost say you should go for that just because there's a higher chance that they're empty as opposed to having an HVT. 
And if you do that, you have the opportunity to possibly steal a point from your opponent. So that's always been my thinking. And in my game, I'll kind of go into that a little bit more. But I honestly think that in cryogenics, if you have the ability to, I would almost say don't open your pods if you can, because you really don't need to to score. Because the only thing you can score at the end of the round is dominating a quadrant with your data breacher. And who who's your data breacher? Uh, I had my the engineer who was who was following around with the tag. Which I think is the right way to do it. I think putting Data Breacher on a support model is much, much better than putting it on like an actual fighting piece because the fighting piece could always just get capped on a random crit ARO. It does well. It also helps that my options are pretty limited because most of my stuff is REM. My my options are pretty limited. I I don't disagree with like I think there is some really good strategy to cryo. The problem I have is like what you just said of like okay, open your opponents first. It's more likely that they don't. Well, you go over there, you open the first one, HVT pops out. The opponent walks to their next one, HVT pops out, and then it's like, well, I am in a rough spot now. Like I I don't like the amount of randomness on my mission when there is so much randomness in everywhere else. I really do prefer my missions to be a little bit more deterministic. Sure. I think, and I, and obviously you're not even the only one that has that like thought process behind the scenario. I think every single person that has, that I've ever seen that has a negative opinion of it is literally exactly what you just said. Yeah, because I don't I don't want to downplay the strategy because I think there is very legitimate strategy to cryo. It I really just wish like I wish you could command re-roll it, you know, spend a command token and re-roll that roll. Sure, sure. Uh like I just wish there was some way to make the mission a little bit more deterministic. Or like even if it was, oh, if it's your second time attempting it, you can command token re-roll it. You know, something that gave you a little bit more control over that ebb and flow. Just because, like, if you watch your opponent open, like, again, you you go to their side, you open an HVT, and then they go to their second one and immediately open an HVT, you're just like, well, well, shit, I have to push my entire army across the board, and your opponent goes, cool, I don't don't have to take a single step forwards. There's only so long you can push, you can push that uh, that opening off, just because, like, if you say, well, I, I won't open it until turn three you may not have the orders to then go dominate their side of the board. Like you, you kind of get that game of chicken. We don't want to open because we don't want to make it obvious which side of the board or what, what quadrant you need to be on. And that is, again, it's a very, I like that game of chicken. I really do see what they're trying to go for because it does reward a little bit of the, I'm going to hang back and trust in my fast moving units to go dominate a quadrant at the end, a little bit like power pack, but it does, it could just, that could also bite you because the opponent's like, oh, I just rolled lucky. And you're like, well, I was making good choices and my opponent just walked up and, and just rolled a 13. Sure. And there's nothing I can do about that. And then, like I said, I there's so much randomness already in the game and I'd rather have that lessen the mission. Sure. Which, yeah, 100%, I agree with you. Just thinking in the context of what you do have available, right? Because you can't have that <laughs> because that's not the nature of the scenario. Yep. Like, and don't blame your dice, but you know, find a way to play better. And to a certain point, I'm a, I'm a stoic as much as I try to be. It's like at the point where the dice leaves your hand, honestly, you can't control what that dice does. The only thing you can do is control your reaction to what happens. And honestly, the worst thing you can do when the worst case, ha- like worst case scenario happens is tilt. If you tilt, I mean, that that alone is going to make it way worse. You know, like that's not going to help. Well, just call me Don Coyote then. Or I think that's the name. Don't tell me what to do. Okay, so my game three, I went against someone by the name of Gamley. You probably know this guy. He's my he's the one who got me in and he's my most frequent practice partner. 
So I punished him real hard because I heard he was being a big bully towards you. So obviously we were playing cryogenics, 400 points. We roll. I believe he wins the roll. He get he chooses to go first. Obviously, I think that was the right choice. So the board we had, very good. I really appreciated the fire lanes that were in it. It was essentially lots of stuff in the middle and then two biggish fire lanes on the left and right side. So essentially, if you have two teams, you put one team per lane. I thought it was really good. So I put a full Reverend team on the right side. Same team as before, except to replace... Well, actually, no, the Reverend was the five-man team this one. So I brought Cassie, one of my favorites. I love Cassie. And her with the Spitfire, she's a real she's a real killing machine. That on the right side, and then I had my usual three-man missile launcher right girl on the left side. I had an extra orphan hanging out nearby. Or I should say I had an extra moderator hacker nearby just so that when the right girl missile launcher goes down, I can reform the team and at least have another three-man sort of attack team. Because the orphan's actually surprisingly good. I mean, especially with a, a multi marksman rifle with MSV two. I mean, that's gonna get that's gonna get work done. I set up. He goes first. <laughs> He's got some stuff. It's like, okay, I got some long range stuff. I'm gonna get ready to riot girl. And my riot girl was like, no, you're dead. And then shoots a rocket, or uh, I'm sorry, a missile blows him up. He's like, okay, that's not a big deal. I got another thing over here that's gonna do the thing. And she's like, no, here's a here's a missile launcher. You're you're dead too now. And everybody was like, oh, oh no. And so an Weir comes up. And he's like, I'm a big, scary ass aware. I'm going to get you. And the missile launcher record was like, no, you're dead too. Go ahead. And I'm pretty sure I hit that one twice. So he got to take six saves. Assaware are tough, but they're not good at surviving six strength, 15, uh, no cover providing template explosion. y boom, boom. So is there anything that's good against that? Wolves because they have TI. Okay. Yep. No, that would do it. Yeah, no, trust me. I know them well. You're gonna, you'll bump into him eventually. Don't worry, Mike is coming for you. The rest of the game that really does set the tempo for the game. At that point, I'm like, okay, I've killed a lot of his attack pieces. He probably and the whole rule of three guns. He definitely followed that rule pretty good. He had a bunch of decoys laid around, so I'm like, okay, there's probably a Sunny around here somewhere. He's playing assassins, right? So I don't think I mentioned that he's playing assassins. My turn comes around. He has a Lasik sniper and a Lasik with a viral rifle hanging out on the other side of this lane. I brought. Hey, spoiler alert, I brought Bran. So Bran, I infiltrated with him because he's real good at infiltrating. And he's hiding in the shadow of, a, of the building that the Lasik Sniper's on. So I'm like, okay, I'll use Bran. He'll jump up. And as long as he kills the Lasik Sniper, he'll have paid for his points and he'll have freed up this lane so that the six mimetism stuff can come running up the board. He has no MSV other than Yara. Yara has MSV too. So I'm like, girl's got to go down. Otherwise, she's going to start picking off my my pretty religious ladies. Bran jumps up. He's like, hey, yo, Lasik Sniper, I'm going to bonk you in the head with this stick. Lasik Sniper's like, okay, that's cool. I'll just lay down and die now. And Bran was like, okay. So everybody shoots at Bran. They either miss him or he hits, they they hit him. He, does, he takes a single wound, goes NWI. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to be able to do another thing. Super, because they changed him. He now has super jump. He doesn't have climbing plus anymore for anybody that doesn't know that he changed. So he jumps on top of Yara, bonks her real hard with the stick. Yara's like, okay, that's cool too. I guess I'm just going to lay down and die. All the AROs go at him. They don't even touch him and he passes all of the saves. Some of those saves are viral and everything. He has no BTS. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's keep going. So I jump and I bonk a Delami in the head. He lays down and dies. Brands, he's all right. So I'm like, okay, I'm out of orders over there. I got an irregular from a Morlock. I guess I'll command token. He does a little hoppy, jumpy skip, bonks the other seek in the head and kills him. <laughs> Bran is... Brand's okay. He's a pretty good model. Killing almost <laughs> 100 points of model on his own 
He probably shouldn't have been able to pull that off, but you know what? Power to him. Good on you, Bran. After that, I was like, good job, pig. You've done it, Mr. Monkey. You could, you can get out of here, you little scamp. So he just hung out there. All I see on his side of the table at this point is an ire, an ayer, however you say it. And I know there's a sunny somebody, somewhere because of all the tokens. The Reverend team moves up and what I do, so I can easily open up more than likely probably both Actually, not really on the left because that was where the Sunny was, you know, spoiler alert. But I decided to push with the Reverend team. They go up. I put them in the middle between the two and set up a little defensive position because to me, I didn't want to open up either one of them and essentially give him an inkling of where it is he should be pushing the air. So I shoot at the air a couple times. I do a wound to him, but he's a heavy infantry and he doesn't go down. And let me just take a quick aside. It still surprises me how much, like how little minimatism is in Hawk <laughs> or in assassins. I'm thinking, oh, they're all assassins. They must all be at least minimum min- minus three, right? Because they all have like thin army, th- thin armor. Not the case. Very strange. Still, still to this day, it throws me off every single time. Every time I play assassins, it's always heavy. It's always heavy infantry and a bunch of school teachers with rocket launchers. Okay. So anyway, his turn comes up. He salvages what he can. He doesn't have a whole lot left. I, I think he knew that the tide was definitely against him. He moves the air around trying to set up for the next turn. I think he, I, I say, are you in retreat because of how much stuff I managed to kill? Thinking maybe not because of, because, I mean, maybe the decoys were nothing and I was I miscounted the points or whatever, blah, 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 blah. He doesn't do a whole lot. The air moves around. He moves up, opens up the cryo container on his side on the left. There's nothing in there. So now the only, so now that helped that, honestly, that helps me because now at least one of the two that I open is going to have one of the HVTs. My turn comes around. My reverend reforms the little team, pops around the corners. I'm like, ha ha, the air is pointed in the other direction. You fool. I'm going to shoot you real hard with this gun. And Sonny was like, no, I'm a scary turret neurosynetic robot. You're dead. And I'm going to boom you in the brain with some bullets and you're dead. So the orphan died. That was sad, but at least I knew where Sonny was. So Sonny was hanging out just in a position where the Moiro, the HMG, could get it out of range because it only has viral rifle. And obviously the rifle range band's not great at super long ranges. I managed to take him down. I move and I take out the air. I open up both of the containers on my side and I get my extreme prejudice by stomping on somebody's face with Agatha, which felt really good. Cassie, I don't she doesn't fire a single shot all game. It was a super weird game. Bran won me that game almost on his own. He's so Gimli is obviously in retreat the next round. He moves up, opens the container on his side. The thing pops out pretty much the end of the game. That one ended eight to three. What a fantastic game. I felt really bad for Gimli just because of how many things went right for me. It was definitely a case of strange things that should not have happened happened in such a way that I just kind of profited from them. The the Riot Girl missile launcher should not have been able to kill should not have been able to kill like three different models that all tried to kill her while they had dice advantage. I know the riot girl's pretty good, but she usually falls down eventually, but she just kept going. He did eventually take her down. I forget how he did it, but uh, she did eventually fall down in the air. That was how he was able to poke his little objectives. Solid win. I, I don't feel too bad for him. Uh, he's hit me enough times with the, Oh, your Delaomi hits me on fours. And he goes, Oh, cool. I crit you. And you're like, I love it. I love it. So the the dice went cold for him, but when we go to a practice next week, he will certainly decide that his dice are hot again. All you need to do is put a missile launcher and a team up on a building and kill all the stuff on his turn. It's easy. I, I do need to put more Noctifers in my list for, you know, surprise missile launchers. But for whatever reason, I just never find the points for Noctifers. 
the thing is, is Noctifers are... Have you been Noctiferred yet? I have not been Noctiferred, but I have, at Adepticon, I Noctiferred someone, and I felt so bad, because they moved <laughs> the entire Link team through, and they're like, I'm going to do this. I'm like, so I'm putting a pie plate down, and the person's just like, I guess I dodge, and I think everyone failed their dodge. I think I killed three or four <laughs> people in the Link team with <laughs> one Noctifer shot. So, But that's his job. That's the Noctifer shot. Listen, we've all been Noctiferred at least once. It doesn't feel good. It just happens. It's fine. Now, the the glory of the Agima and Steel Phalanx exists. It's going to happen there, too. It stinks. Just pray it doesn't happen to you. Just, yeah. And again, it'll happen to you once and you'll never forget. But the problem is, is that a skilled person that's playing with a Noctifer knows exactly when to unleash that thing. Oh, you never unleash it the first time. No. The first time someone crosses, you're like, yeah, it's fine. Uh, I, I've had some games with hidden deployment where it's like turn three, where the person's like, well, I know you have no arrows because every time I move here, you don't do anything. And it's like, ha ha, hidden deployment. And they're just like, why did you hold it that long? I'm like, because you literally weren't expecting it now. And they're like, no, you're right. They got you right where they want you. So one of the things I'm really looking forward to with the meteors on is that I believe it also has sensor. I I just want to bring it and and sniff out the Noctifer and the Agima. I just want to do that once in my life and just just be so happy. I want to be so happy to do that. That that would make me very sad. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, 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 God, jeez. <laughs> it feels so good. Okay, so that's the end. Are any questions about that game? No, I, I heard a lot of this from Gimli as well, and a similar, kind of similar from the opposite side. Overall, I think this was a really great tournament. I had a lot of fun, and Midgard's a great location. We should talk about the most important award. <laughs> Clearly, we all went there for... One award out of all of them. We went there for Middleist, baby. I I I love Middleist because if nothing else, you can start mathing out. You know, after the second round, oh, I have this percent chance. Like I, I can kind of figure out my first, second, third place people. You know, you know where you're in the running. But everyone at the end of round two is like, I'm oh, I, I'm Owen oh two. I'm two and oh. I still have a chance for Middleist. You know, depending, my score was kind of high on round two, but low in round one. You're like, hey, you still got a shot for Middleist. Maybe just throw this game. You're, you're two and zero. Oh, maybe just throw this game real hard. That could put you in Middleist. So the glory that is Derek, he created an actual metal made of aluminum with an amazing, <laughs> amazing, amazing metal where there's a bell curve and it has a little arrow that says "U" at the top. Saying like, <laughs> saying like you're the king of mediocrity or whatever. Come to find out, the guy that won it, he even hung, he even hung it up in his office <laughs> at work. Oh goodness, it was glorious. I, I wanted to win medalists because it's a fun meme. But when I saw that medal, I'm like, I can want this medal so badly. I want to put it. I want to hang it next to my GT winning 40k sword. That's how much I want this award. I'm gonna put it in the same like spot of honor. It is so beautiful. I hope we can like put a picture or something in in the show notes. If not, you know, people got to go try to find this on the Discord or come to Iron Weld. We're going to have them at Iron Weld or at the June 10th event. We're going to have we're going to have a medalist again. So if you live in California, cancel all your plans, get on a plane, come come to Derry, New Hampshire. No, no, no. Bother your TOs to have them message Derek. We're going to make this a thing. Kelly's going to eventually come to us and be like so what the what what is Middleist? We're gonna get Mar- no. What's his not Marco? What's his name? Carlos. Carlos. Carlos is gonna come and be like, what 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 is this? <laughs> what is this? What is this Middleist? 
All right. Well, listen, New England, we're, we're the most progressive place in uh, on the earth. All right. We're going to keep it going with Middleist. All right. Everybody get ready. It's coming for your butts. Obviously, an amazing event. The person that managed to cinch Middleist was his name is Isaac, but I, I get I don't know if we're going to we want to say his real name. Well, Isaac is also uh, I, I believe it's both. Uh, I believe they're one of those crazy people who uses their part of their real name and their ITS name and not like sloppy steak or like big wet fart or whatever, you know, all the weird ITS, all the ITS names we've seen. Isaac did cinch it. Uh, he loved it. He wore the medal when we went out to dinner <laughs> and he just was so proud of that thing. It was incredible. Uh, I walked away with fifth. What, what did you walk away with? I think fifth. 15th or 16th i i did not do very well but again i learned so much and i'm really hoping to come in strong on june 10th please people do not discredit me i i I promise to do better don't kick me off the show well uh i've been talking to the higher ups and they were going to promote you to l to a lieutenant but i think they're going to wait at least i'm fine with chain of command i've seen how you treat (laughs) lieutenants (laughs) there is no chain of command in nomads so you'll never be one of us fair no, that's, that that that's fine. I'm. It's okay. I'm so alone. So it was obviously a, a fantastic event. I always go to Cube Free. They are always fun. Anytime they are announced, I always tell everybody else to buzz off. That is when I am going to these events. Nobody may stop me. I hope anybody listening here gives them a shot. They're usually capped at 24. The next one's already been announced. I think it's already half filled. So you better hurry up. Is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up there, Brady? No, uh, I'm just glad to play an event instead of running an event. And I hope to be running, you know, beyond Iron Welds, running some other small scale events. So hopefully Derek will get a chance to play and not be worried about the logistics of running the uh, yeah, the event. That's silly, but he's going to be so distracted with actually learning how to play JSA that he's not going to. You're going to really free up a lot of his mental load. Well, I just find what tends to happen, you know, it's like the forever DM. People then eventually get slotted in to be the forever forever TO. And those are the people who tend to love the game the most. And it's like, oh, but you never get to play it. You have such a different relationship with the game. Yeah, they ever actually get to play the thing they really like. It's Yeah, it's sad. I 100%. I'm glad that you're there for him. Brady. I think we did it again, man. I think we got an episode to all the people that are listening. I promise that the next episode is going to be when the normal content kind of starts. Uh, obviously, we'll go over it when we get there. But this, these, the first and second episode, funnily enough, ha- are unique in that we had an event right after we started doing this podcast. So I'm sorry that it's... I'm hoping you enjoyed it. It certainly is an episode. It sure is. So we're lucky that... We have an amazing community that we do here. If you want to be a part of that community, please reach out. You might even be able to get into our Discord, and you'll even know when these events come up before the rest of the Arachne network. Guys, hear me out. We would really love some five-star reviews. We were amazed at the response that we got from the first episode. The amount of people that actually downloaded it and listened to the episode honestly was actually quite staggering. Tim, the person in charge of the network, actually made time to come to me and he was like, wow, I'm actually amazed at how many people listen to this thing. I didn't think it was going to be as popular as it was quite that fast. But that's why the Infinity community is the best community, baby. In the New England area, everybody here, it's probably mostly people from here. I hope it's going to expand slowly, I'm sure. I'm hoping soon that everybody will be a part of that. Yeah, I mean, it's just so wicked pissa you know, from the New England New England family. As always, you can reach out to us and give us more feedback. We want to keep growing. We want to keep giving the content that you want to be listening to. You can find me on Discord, Brady T. Uh, we'll do all the numbers and not in the, in the uh, link. Uh, you can also find me on Danger Planet on YouTube. Where can they find you, Dr. D, to give some great feedback you can find me 
at Dr. D at 4340 or send me an email at gmail.com. Come. I know that you guys have been attempting to find the podcast with the current way the algorithm works. Once we get more downloads and more reviews, you'll be able to find us much more easily. We are going through all of the podcast catchers. If you cannot find us, look, I promise that we are there. We're probably just hidden underneath a lot of other stuff that will get better, though. So let's just say leave and say thanks for listening, Nomads. Make sure you keep it popping out there and don't let Aleph get you. It's never too late to embrace the evolved intelligence. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, check out all the other great shows here at the Professional Casual Network. Like what, Danny? I'll tell you. On Mondays, we've got the Lost Omens podcast, our Pathfinder 2E actual play, hosted by me, playing through the Extinction Curse AP. Also, streaming on twitch.tv slash professional casual network at 7 p.m. Eastern time, you can check out, oh yeah, the power phase, our Marvel Crisis Protocol live battle report show. On Tuesdays, the podcast version of, wait, did I roll a wild? Our Marvel Crisis Protocol Povlog is available. On Wednesdays, alternating releases on the Patreon, we have Settling the Southlands, our homebrew Wolforp actual play, and The Slithering, a Pathfinder 2nd edition actual play. And on Thursdays, live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on twitch.tv slash professional casual network, we've got, wait, did I roll a wild? Our Marvel Crisis Protocol Povlog. You can also check out back episodes of Elite Eight Showdown and the first 39 episodes of the Lost Omens podcast, the first 24 episodes of Settling the Southlands, and the first handful of episodes of The Slithering on the YouTube at youtube.com slash the professional casual.